who's going to win the presidency? Well, it, it, not Trump is, is my answer. So didn't you think that uh, in 2016, didn't you think that it was unlikely that he would win the presidency? So yes. what makes you think that uh, you know better this time? Well, in the first place, the fact that it was impossible for him to win the presidency in 2016 was his secret weapon. It just um, was figured into a whole bunch of calculations that turned out to be bad calculations. It's one of the reasons that Obama didn't come out with a more firm uh, denunciation of Russian interference when he was stymied by Mitch McConnell. I think part of his calculation was, well, I don't really need to risk this because Trump can't win anyway. And I think it certainly had to do with Comey's second and third announcements about Hillary's emails uh, on uh, that he was opening an investigation based on Weiner's laptop uh, and then announcing again that uh, there was nothing to see on that laptop. Uh, he did that because he thought he had to protect the FBI and he was pretty sure it wasn't going to affect the race. And I think it affected uh, a lot of people's personal decisions to... Um, they, they had a lot of reservations about Clinton and they said, okay, I, I don't have to vote because she, I, I just don't want to vote for her and uh, Trump will never win. So those are just uh, the main reasons that the presumption that Trump had to lose was a secret weapon for him then. So now we know that he can win. So that weapon is gone. I think everybody's calculation is going to be a little different. Um, Trump's win was, you know, like, like filling an inside straight. It was a perfect storm of a whole bunch of things that happened, including the way the New York Times covered Clinton, including the Comey letters, including uh, the way people responded to Hillary Clinton, uh, the, the way she campaigned, her, the weakness of her not finding a slogan, the weakness of her neglecting to campaign uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, all, all of those things just came together in a bizarre way. It, it was like a perfect storm of things that tipped things to Trump. I don't think you can have that perfect storm again because everybody's onto it. Well, uh, my question would be that it doesn't seem to, it, it didn't seem likely that Hillary would have such a tin ear about her emails. Mm -hmm except if you actually thought about it. Well, it didn't, but you know, how many times did she try and uh, clear that up? And no, none of them actually worked. She was- uh, I don't think that she showed uh, an instinct for the jugular that was the only way to beat that guy then. I, I think that's true. But I, but I also think it's the way she framed her campaign. You know, if, if you look at the investments she made in advertising, uh, most of it, at least two-thirds of it, and I haven't calculated it, so this is just a subjective impression, but at least two-thirds of it were, were um, takedowns of Trump. Trump is so awful. How could you vote for Trump? Uh, she was much more on an attack of Trump than she was on talking about her vision for the country. Now, she had a website full of plans, and she had a whole wonkish set of proposals that she would uh, talk about, 
but she she just said go see my website website i i and so her 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 positive message got lost in her negative what, what message. was her positive message that she was going to be the first woman president well there were two sides to it you know one one was her her reliance on that the fact that she was she was going to be the first woman president i mean her her slogan was i'm with her you know fine so you know what does that what does that mean for me you know it's just it's what that means to her you know you you can't campaign on what you mean to the candidate you have to campaign on what the candidate means to you um so that was on the slogan level but she had all these policies you know about education and healthcare and so forth you know there was like there, there was a lot to what but she there, was but there was a lot of there was a lot of it. data uh from the uh Obama uh campaign earlier uh the her kind of train wreck around healthcare uh as the first lady you know there was just a lot of data to the effect that she didn't know what she was doing yes but we all overlooked that in the rush to uh, uh anoint her you know uh that's true not all of us i mean bernie got a substantial number of votes but bernie's yeah, bernie's um, paying uh you know reaping the whirlwind at this point uh of failing to actually accomplish anything he he's weeping that whirlwind and he's also we reaping another whirlwind which has to do with the kinds of people he's surrounding himself with and how toxically and viciously they are attacking his enemies you know so no president is an individual every president is a cluster of people that come in with them there's a whole administration of staff and if you look at the way bernie is staffing his campaign it's very off-putting Uh, you know an administration staffed with the kind of people he has staffed his campaign with will be almost as bad as a trump administration staffed with the kinds of people he's brought in yeah it's very trumpian yeah so uh all right so that takes care i mean i don't think that i think he he will uh drop to a certain base that he has which is probably around 15 18%. That sounds about right. And uh I'm not as enamored as I think you are or others are of Elizabeth Warren's chances because I think that she has uh uh done a good job of maximizing her base which I believe is in the 25% level. Well, we'll see. I mean, there're only two trajectories that are worth paying attention to at this point. And and that's Joe Biden's and hers. Um the the open question is as people drop out, where do they land? Do they land in the Biden column? Yeah, but I, I, column? I agree with you that at this point that's true, but I don't think that that's uh fundamental to what's going to happen. I mean, if if that's all that's going to happen, then Biden will win. I think the odds are the odds are that he will win. Well, uh but, I don't I but nothing nothing is a lock uh, at this point. I mean, we're still very far away and there's a whole lot of 
a whole lot of events coming up in terms of uh, debates and campaigns and early primaries. So yeah. you know, and I think uh, that there. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't have spare money to bet on right now. Well, uh, we're not in a recession. What, what are you saying? Of course, you have spare money. We have all the money not, that we can print. No, no. I personally am not placing any bets. Yeah, that's I, what I'm I saying. understand. I'm being obtuse for the purpose of yes. advancing the uh, attitude, which is that. I think the dynamics, the potential dynamics of New Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina are, I think, super important. They always right. are. And they will be this time. So uh, who, is, who is Eugene McCarthy, is what I'm saying. Um. Well, I don't think we have a Eugene McCarthy. Who who was president when Eugene McCarthy? Lyndon ran? Johnson, and he. And what party? And he was in the same party. That's correct. Right. So nobody is Eugene McCarthy. No, but we're talking about. We're, I mean, if there's a Eugene slate. McCarthy, it's a Republican. It's Bill Weld on the Republican side. Yeah, but you know, the former governor of Massachusetts. I'm not is Eugene looking McCarthy. for that analogy. I'm looking for an early primary. Uh, you know, basically bringing down the lead candidate in the Democratic Party. That's the analogy I'm talking uh, about here. Turning uh, Sleepy Joe into a uh, Hubert Humphrey. Well, from, from the reports I'm hearing, and I, I'm, you know, I haven't investigated this thoroughly, um, Warren is building a very good ground game in Iowa. And so are a couple of other candidates. So uh, I think Buttigieg is, um, though he seems to have fizzled, has a good ground game in Iowa. Um, and Cory Booker is doing a great deal of work in Iowa. Right. But do you really think Cory Booker is going to uh, supplant uh, any of the top five right now? I don't think so. so so the the only question in my mind is, is what impact is he going to have on the race if it's not on his candidacy? What is it? Well, you know, the, the dynamics of caucus states are very different from the dynamics of primary But there are states. only two caucuses this time. Right. Right. So, and one of them is Iowa. Yeah. And, and that is going to have an impact. But does that mean that Cory Booker's ground game is going to be uh, disruptive of either Warren or Biden? Not from what I can see now. Who knows? So then the real, the real game is uh, not Iowa, but New Hampshire. Right. And I think New Hampshire's got a lot going for it. And who do you see ahead in New Hampshire? Uh, it, again, McCarthy did not win New Hampshire. He right. lost. He was in second place, as was Bill Clinton uh, sometime later. Well, you know, the weird, the weird thing about these primaries is that a second place, if, it, uh, if it's spun as a surprise, and uh, if it's spun as showing momentum, is as good as a win. Yeah, well, that, that was the 
that was what happened then, uh, particularly with Clinton. Uh, that's where the comeback kid uh, moniker came right. from. But I, I'm not suggesting that, that that's what's going to happen now. To me, there's, uh, it's somebody's game to win. And I don't see uh, adopting a Hillary strategy of running out the clock is going to do much for uh, Biden. And I think that's what everybody is best betting on. Right. So if that doesn't happen, what will happen? Well, the, I mean, the, the factor that is unique this time compared to any other time is the terrible anxiety that the whole country is suffering under with Trump in the White House. So the, the number one requirement is to beat Trump. Regardless of what you think about any policy issues or foreign policy issues or health care issues or anything else, everybody's top priority is who's going to get Trump out. But how do you get Trump out? Well, it, it, I, did you... Uh, did you see the, uh, the the analysis by Rachel? Uh, what is it? Kofi? Yes, I did. I thought that was that was terrific. Although uh, it, it was in two parts, it was the analysis of her first appearance on Lawrence O'Donnell was uh, the it doesn't matter who, but a Democrat will get 278 electoral votes, and therefore uh, right. it's over. It's like what eight eight more than what you need, something like that. Something like that. Okay. Uh, and then the second time she appeared, which was last night, uh, she had a, a interesting and much more nuanced view uh, of some of the other dynamics in the race, uh, which didn't necessarily suggest uh, that this was a lock. It was more like there's a lot of moving parts. And well, yeah. If you look at her paper, I mean, the the biggest caveat she has is will there be a credible third-party candidate that will siphon off votes or disrupt the predictions? Right. I think that, you know, that I've seen a lot of kind of concern about third-party candidates. But I think that the difference this time is the speed with which the electorate is voting in real time. And uh, I have a feeling that, you know, we... There was, to your, uh, I think your uh, uh, main point, which is the fear of whatever it is, uh, re-electing Trump, uh, that will, that'll be factored in to e even a third party candidate. And yeah. I think that's why I find, you know, some really odd kind of stumbling efforts to be most significant right now, at least. Uh, for example, Mark Sanford. Uh, have you followed anything that he's been saying? I have not followed Mark yeah. Sanford. And, no. you know, this is a South Carolina guy who destroyed right. his uh, candidacy uh, and then uh, decided to uh, disembowel himself by attacking Trump and uh, was highly successful at doing that. But uh, his basic thesis is that if you attack Trump uh, uh, on the economy, uh, then he's extremely vulnerable. 
And, you know, the yes. stock market this week, you know, validates that, that theory, not the reality of what's going on in terms of the economy, but the possibility of getting, uh, you know, overturned by this kind of event. Right. Well, there's the big event, which is to say a downturn, a recession. And then there's the smaller event, which has to do with the unequal distribution of the gains that we've been having. So, you know, the, the old Reagan question, are you better off than you were four years ago? If you ask that broadly, how many people are? Well, I think that people are just uh, paralyzed and uh, uh, emotionally uh, upset. We, I was just talking to uh, Dennis Pombriand about uh, uh, movies that we've seen recently. And uh, without getting into any of the details because spoilers would be alerting. Uh, the film yesterday about the, uh, you know, a world where the Beatles didn't exist and, uh, and Once Upon a Time in America both have uh, this payload that in one case I think it's incredibly successful and the other, I'm not going to say anything more about either of them, you you meant once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah, I think. whatever, Hollywood, America. Yes. Um, the, basically, what Dennis's point was, I think, uh, is that uh, there's a uh, a need, uh, a desperate hunger for uh, a better time in the future. Yeah, yes, that that's what a lot of people certainly. Uh, a majority are looking for in this country. Dahlia Lithwick has a, a, an article up, I think, in Slate. Who? Uh, Dahlia Lithwick. Uh, she's a legal an analyst. Uh, basically, on the psychic toll that Trump has exacted mm -hmm. on the country. It's just exhausting to have him around. I mean, he, you know, he, he just... He commands attention over nonsense all the time. Well, I think uh, that there's, uh, you know, I think uh, the television networks are uh, complicit in in that problem. Uh, and yes, I they are. They... But and so is social media. I mean, he, he, you know, he. Uh, I mean, you can you, you can say uh, don't pay any attention to this guy, and uh, people have been offering that advice since he was elected, uh, but it seems impossible to follow that advice. Well, because the things he talks about, um, the things he talks about are of significance, even if what he says is insignificant. Well, I, I the impact. You know, I mean, when, you know, when he's, when he's um, carrying out Stephen Miller's immigration policy on the border and you have children in cages and you have family separations, uh, when he's playing games with anti-Semitism and anti-Israel uh, fears, it's really hard to ignore that. You, you know, it's, it's not the sort of thing you can say, well, don't pay any attention to that. When he's waffling about gun control issues, yes, we should definitely have better background checks. No, no, our, our background checks are good enough. I mean, you, you know, how, how, how can you ignore his stance that's not on what the story significant is. issues? But that's not what the story is. Uh, when it's processed by the the networks, 
And I want to get back to your comment about social media uh, a little bit later. But the fact is, is that there's no uh, guiding, credible, uh, emotional authority uh, about the news networks. They're complicit in running what they call tropes uh, on a number of subjects that some of which are obviously true or, uh, and then some of them are not so obviously true. And in fact, are sort of pushed into tropes uh, as a vehicle for talking points for the networks, not the candidate. He's taking advantage of that. And so are some of the other special interests. I mean, I, you know, I certainly don't want to suggest that it's anything but alarming what he says about anti-Semitic uh, tropes. Uh, but on the other hand, when he talks about disloyalty, he's saying something, he may have said something or implied something that was disloyal to America uh, about what he's saying, but what he said and reiterated and has not shifted from yet uh, is that uh, people are being disloyal uh, to the Jewish people and to Israel. That, that, that's right. He, 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 was, he was ambiguous the first time because he didn't specify what that's people right. were disloyal to. But today he spelled it out. Which, of course, is, you know, an even worse anti-Semitic smear than the first well, one. Well, I, I understand that. Because it's, the, the assumption is that Jews are supposed to be loyal to Israel, not loyal to the United States. So he's basically not saying that. And he's being attacked in the media for saying what he didn't say. Okay. Right. That, it may be accurate on their part, and certainly on the part of... Uh, you know, Jewish uh, experts and just plain uh, human beings to realize that they're being uh, played by this guy. But it doesn't mean that it's an accurate reflection of the game that's being played by Trump or the Republicans. It's, it, it, there's something about it which I think is equally complicit with how it's being used. The, the media is being used by the Republicans to fight a war that they don't quite say themselves. And they've been doing that for many years. And, you know, Trump has sort of surfaced a lot of this uh, sort of uh, subtle uh, racism, etc., to the point where uh, he, you know, Trump is getting tagged with this. But interestingly, the the Republicans are not being tagged with being racist. Well, they sort of are. They're um, they're being tagged, if not with being racist, with being uh, ra racist tolerant. I mean, you know, the, the the fact that they will not denounce his racism means they're complicit in it. Oh, I, I mean, I agree with the logic, but I don't think that the Republicans, I mean, which Republican uh, other than uh, 
our, our majority leader. What's his name? McConnell. Right. Uh, Machine Gun McConnell. Other than his, uh, uh, you know, the attack on him as being uh, in control of the whole shooting match, pardon the expression, uh, there's, there's literally no media uh, that's going out, uh, at least in the ones that I see, which is primarily MSNBC and a little bit of CNN, they don't, uh, they don't personalize this around any candidates. They're talking about trying to overturn, uh, the left is trying to talk about overturning the Senate, but they're not going after any of the senators. So how real is that? Um, what do you mean by going after? They're not, what are the Senate, campaigns Senate, Senate races are up, are up for grabs? Well, there's Susan Collins. In Maine, and she, and she's not being attacked as a racist. She's, but she's being attacked as uh, a Trump loyalist because the who uh, pretends who, who pretends to be independent. Right. As, but you know, compared to the other forty-seven of them, she is an independent. Except in how she votes, she's an independent in how she talks, but not in how she votes. Yeah, but. <laughs> Uh, I mean, most of them don't ever vote because McConnell never allows anything to get to the floor. So uh, I'm not so sure that that's going to be an effective campaign uh, to overturn that seat. Well, we'll see. Yeah, and I don't. Th I think that uh, who else is there? Uh, you know, it's just. Uh, in Colorado, there's a, there's probably a, a, a good the, chance. Looper is going to win. Uh, yeah, or anyone. If if Hickenlooper gets the if Hickenlooper gets the nomination, he probably wins. Well, I can foresee uh, a uh, a Republican who doesn't support Trump uh, holding on to the seat. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think uh, Trump is so polarizing uh, and so toxic or so embraced, depending on where you lie on the spectrum, that it, it, it's impossible for any Republican to stand independent of Trump. Okay. Well, I think you're right about that. So the bottom line here is that... Uh, I, I get in the weeds by trying to describe what I consider to be the uh, the complicit media tilt toward uh, Trump. And he's described that as being, you know, that it doesn't really matter whether you like him or not, that you need to win. He needs to win because to keep the stock market up, which is code for he needs right. to win in order for the TV networks uh, to stay in business. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, the, clearly, that's not going to uh, be a determinative in terms of him losing the election. So what is? I don't. I don't think it's one thing. I think it's everything. And you think that they're going to be able to keep up uh, the passion and the momentum 
for the next how many months? And how many months is a question. Who, who, who is going to keep up the passion the momentum? It's, they, they don't have to do it. Just, Trump will tweet on the hour. Trump is keeping up the passion. And, and you know, Trump, Trump is like, Trump is like when, when the smoke alarm goes off. You, you just have to turn it off. You know, first you check if there's a fire, and if it's a false alarm, you, you, you pull that smoke alarm out of the ceiling. You just can't stand that sound. I mean, that, and, and, and Trump is sending off the smoke alarm hourly. Okay, so uh, give me an idea of what you see the calendar, how the calendar works to uh, the Democrats' advantage. I, I, I think the calendar is, is irrelevant. I mean, the, the, the country is not building up a tolerance to Trump because Trump, by his nature, doesn't want to go dark. Trump, by his nature, looks for something that will get him to lead the news every day. You know, Trump is that, is that smoke alarm going off. He will not, he will, you know, if, if Trump wanted to be reelected, he would just go quiet for a while. And people would say, oh, it's not so bad. But it's not in his nature to do that. He has to see himself reflected on the front page of the New York Times. He has to see himself reflected on all the cable shows. And he has to see himself reflected on Twitter. Okay, so he's going to keep talking. Right? All right. He's going to keep so talking. There is, a, there is a fraction of the country who loves to hear him talk. And there is a, a fraction of the com- country that's been trying to stuff cotton in our ears not to hear him. Okay, and what's, uh, so what are the landmarks? When's the next uh, apparent uh, silver lining uh, on the Democratic side? When does that happen? Well, I mean, the next big landmark is the September debate. Um, I don't know what will come out of that. Um, presumably, some people will drop out because they, they're not allowed to show up. Um, although, based on the rules, if you haven't qualified for September, uh, it doesn't reset the clock. You can qualify for October if you meet the thresholds. So if you miss the September threshold, you've banked everything that you have in terms of polls and individual contributors. And if you're going to add a few more over the next few weeks, you get to show up in October. So we might have a case where we have 10 people on stage in September and 13 people on stage in October. Okay. Back on the play out. Uh, fatigue, anger, boredom. I don't. I, well, I, I I think part of it is, um, in terms of the Democratic primary, there really are too many people to pay attention to. Nobody, nobody considers that wider consideration field. I mean, in in any place where you're making a choice, you always want to narrow it down to your shortlist and then pick from your shortlist. And so whether or not people show up, it appears that we now have a shortlist of no more than five. Right? We've got, we've got Biden. We've got Bernie. We've got Harris. We've got Warren. And one wild card. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's Corey. Maybe it's Buttigieg. Maybe it's O'Rourke. I just don't see how 
more than five people can stay in the consideration to set, whether or not they are um, formally running or not, it has to narrow. Well, well, it will narrow. Uh, but the the real question is whether or not it'll uh, become a smaller group of losers rather than uh, a, a, an untenable group of losers. Well, it'll be a little of each. I mean, you know, some, um, some people people will inevitably have to drop out because their money will dry up unless you're Tom Steyer. But you know how much of the of the money is a function of the campaign at this point, and how much of it is a function of uh, television free time? Well, I think they're all related. I I, I think they're all related. Um, you know, if you're booking these shows, you. If you have, if you have determined that someone is below your threshold, you don't book them. I'm just like the, you don't put them on a debate stage, and it becomes it be, it becomes harder and harder. I mean, you know, how many interviews does, does Marion Williamson get on on the cable yeah, news? Yeah, we're not talking. She's got her own. She's got her own audience. She's got her own you know, following that, that, that follows her online, but she can't, she can't break through and get a booking. You know? All right. Well, I'll just throw out what I think are the operative uh, dynamics here. Uh, I think go ahead. Uh, Warren, uh, is going uh, where it will be appreciated for the effort she's making, but not for her on any functional level. I think that they're trying to suggest that she is electable. Uh, and I think that there's an equal uh, uh, doubt about, you know, whether a Democrat can run to the left be able to win the primary, but not the election. And I think that's the problem she has. She doesn't ever answer uh, the question, even though uh, supposedly uh, she has the answers about how she's going to pay for her programs. Well, I haven't done the math, but she says it's, it, she, she says it's A, the wealth tax, and B is rolling back some of uh, Trump's uh, last tax cut. Right, but you know we're going to be busy and, and probably rolling something, back. A probably lot. something in capital gains, or or a transaction tax on on trades. Well, you know this this country is a divided political country, and the chances of her being able to roll back much of anything. Uh, in a first term, if she was to get there, I think are very small. And I think that's the core of why she doesn't have a, a, a sense of electability that will carry past the, the, the early primaries. Well, we'll, 
we'll mark that down and come back and revisit. Yeah, absolutely. So that I, I just this is my, um, I don't see anybody else who can reach out and possibly, and it's not a debate performance or if she gets some help from other supporting her who are viral in terms of the uh, appeal like Beta O'Rourke. If she gets help from Beta O'Rourke. Now, do you, do, you have, do you have any sense on why um, her campaign seemed to have peaked after the first debate when she directly challenged Biden? Well, have, have you seen And her? ever since then, she's, she's just been slowly have deflating. Have you seen her at all on television? Uh, well, I, I don't watch that much television, but I I, I listen to television on on the satellite and yeah, on well, uh, you tune in. You haven't heard her uh, any more than I've seen her. She's you know she's just basically her strategy, such as it is, is does not depend on uh, free time yet, and I'm I'm not sure that uh -huh. it will. Uh, I think that. This is a game of uh, of waiting for her, and uh, as we saw with uh, with Hillary, waiting doesn't necessarily produce good results. But I don't think that Biden is the type of candidate that Obama was. Well, clearly not. Well, there we go. I mean, when he, when he ran against Obama, he 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 was one of the first to drop out. And what I think about. Uh, you know, it, as you're suggesting with, I think, with uh, Trump is the candidate is Trump. You don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to figure out what's wrong. You just have to. You need to figure out how to be able to talk about Trump to Trump. His biggest right. problem is uh, as a poker player, uh, he's not very good. You can you can you can force him into errors. Yes, but you need to have uh, on your side. And that's where I think that the 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 argument about doesn't hold up either. Why were you saying that social media is complicit? Well, you, you, you know, there's there's an odd thing about social media, especially Twitter. Twitter, uh, especially, has become some kind of back channel for the press, for reporters. There's a whole conversation going on on Twitter among everybody who is either a political reporter or a political analyst and their followers. So it's a uh, it's a distorted view because it doesn't doesn't reflect the country as a whole, but it's uh, a powerful view among people who are paying close attention. Okay. Well, the impact so far is that Twitter is unable to ignore Trump. I did something very useful on my own Twitter feed a couple of weeks ago, which is I, I blocked Trump. I never followed him, but he kept 
showing up in my feed because people would either would, you know, would retreat, would retweet his nonsense in order to say, this is nonsense. And so every time someone wanted to say, this is nonsense, I saw Trump's tweet because of the, of the way, you know, Twitter's algorithm works. But once I blocked Trump, all I see is, this is nonsense, and underneath, this tweet is unavailable. Um, so it gives me a, a really good, without having to see anything that Trump says, it gives me a, a, at least some insight into how many people are engaging with him or engaging with his nonsense yeah. and, and his helicopter rants and his uh, tweets. And it, it, it's amazing how people seem to be incapable of ignoring him. Well, I think that, I mean, I, I'll just, I don't know about people, but I, I know I don't ignore him because I think that's the only real programming on. I don't need the pundits to tell me what he's doing if I've actually watched it or they've allowed right. it to be broadcast. Uh, I'm done. I don't have to watch hours of retreading of what he said because for the most part, the, the cable news networks don't understand the intricacies of, for example, the gun control debate. We, debate. we, we talked about this before the call uh, and I was somewhat inarticulate in stating this, but you know, at the risk of doing it again, I'll just try and shortcut it to say that uh, the background checks uh, dynamic is what the networks focus on, but the, re the real question is, is whether or not anything is going to happen as opposed to what is going to happen. Okay. Yes. And the, the networks don't get that. Or if they do get it, they don't want to publish it. They don't want to project a notion that this is all nonsense and that at the end of the day, uh, the NRA is in charge. And, you know, thank you, goodbye. Well, I mean, that's, that, that has certainly been our experience up till now. There's this other sense that with each mass shooting, our ability to tolerate doing nothing diminishes. And at some point, we'll have to do something. I mean, the level of outrage keeps mounting. Um, and the, um, the, the, the polling on doing something is so high, you know, depending on which measure you look at. But when you go to background checks, the, the polling has consistently been 85% to over 90%. Uh, and it's even high among gun owners and Republicans. So why does anything ever happen there? Why does anything happen there? Why doesn't no? Why does nothing happen because, there? Because I mean, it's it's a it's a popular measure to take to expand. But it's not change. tied to any vote. Uh, there's no penalty for ignoring the will of the polling public. So what? So well, what there, if 90% people think that background checks, loopholes, you know, should be uh, uh, stopped? 
But that, but that, I think that is changing. If you look at the 2018 yeah. election, NRA candidates lost, and candidates backed by the gun control lobbies won. So there is a penalty. There was in 2018 in the House. Right. There was no penalty in the, House. In, the in the Senate. If anything, it went the other way. The penalty got wider. Uh, it became more well, the, difficult the Senate, to the, overturn the Senate. Yes, but some of that has to do with the calendar and which, which seats in which states were up. I mean, we have this strange senatorial calendar where only, you know, there are three classes and only one-third of the Senate comes up in each election. And... Some elections, uh, th this was an, an election where the, just the, the contests favored the Republicans. So, I, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you that there's, there seems to be a, a move toward more pragmatic analysis uh, on the part of the networks. It, but it's very slow, and I don't know that it's having much impact. Uh, the question is, in my mind, is... Is there going to be a presidential candidate or candidates that are going to be able to close the loop in terms of uh, tying the the election a year and a half away uh, in terms of its results? In which body is it just going to be a presidential vote? Because uh, it's clear that Trump doesn't think that there's any uh, uh, there's there's no negative in being all over the place about this and ultimately not doing anything. Well, but you know the, the nature the nature of our elections is that they are very much focused on the base and the enthusiasm of the base and the passions of the base. And Trump, if he knows anything, knows that. He doesn't appeal to everybody. He knows he appeals to a segment. And everything he does is directed to that segment. Because his only chance is to get more of them to show up than, than the, the people who oppose him. I mean, if you, know, if you poll everybody, clearly Trump loses. But it all depends on who shows up and in what states they show right. up. Right. And how do you think that's so, going right So now? Trump's, Trump's, strategy, Trump's strategy is clearly narrowly focused. Right. So in the Electoral College uh, sweepstakes here, uh, what candidate has a chance of counteracting Trump's uh, lock on... The let, what, however bad this is, it would get worse if we went the other way. Oh, I think several of them do. I mean, you know, and, and I think polling shows that. This, if it shows, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't really, I really don't think there's only one who can do it because, as you said, Trump is the candidate. Trump is the issue. So anybody who's not Trump is a possible right. winner. That's one of the reasons I think that Kamala Harris has uh, a, a reasonable strength is, is that she's relatively immune to counterattack. You know, he hasn't shown any ability to attack her directly. 
he hasn't right. nicknamed her. Uh, you know, he's pretty much stayed away from her. Uh, and, you know, in reverse psychology, you know, he's gone back to Sleepy Joe now. But I think he only attacks people who are perceived as threats. Exactly. And, and you know, her, her, when, when, when and if she emerges with more strength, she will be attacked. But right now, clearly, he has to attack Biden. He has to attack uh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I, I don't think that Elizabeth Warren uh, is going to stand up very well to a direct assault in the, the primary, let alone by, by Trump himself. I think that she's very strong on policy and very strong on uh, uh, moving to the left. But I don't think that the appetite in this country is about moving to the left. I think it's about staying in the center just without this nightmare as president. Well, that's, that's one theory. That's one theory, certainly, that uh, just, just, get, just get rid of Trump and make things normal again. That's, that's Joe Biden's theory. Yeah, but Joe Biden doesn't own that theory. And he's also, you know, 150 years old. And right. uh, a lot can happen in a, in a, you know, what if he starts to succumb to the fatigue? On the other hand, uh, you know, what if he rises uh, as a result of, of the Trump fatigue? You know, I think he's easy, easily uh, the favorite right now. But something about yes. uh, the situation strikes me that uh, he's got more of a chance of being Hubert Humphrey than he does of being, uh, you know, uh, somebody who's going to stand up to Trump. I don't, I don't think that he, uh, you know, this is one of the things about the media that I find. I know, you know, it's, 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 it, it's so hard for me to, to do these historical analogies because there are, there are so many uh, variables. When you talk about Hubert Humphrey, there's who Hubert Humphrey was. There's the fact that Hubert Humphrey was Johnson's vice president. There's the fact that there was a riot at the convention. Yeah, I mean, but there, are, are, there are all these factors these that doomed Hubert Humphrey that don't that just don't exist now. That, uh, I disagree. I think that the that the things that we remember. I mean, I remember uh, the emotional feeling at the time, and it seemed impossible uh, that. Anything could be done to stop Nixon, primarily because of the same dynamics that's going on now with Trump. Uh, you know, the idea that Nixon was going to actually come out on top, that was everybody's fear. That's why Bobby Kennedy ran. It's why McCarthy uh, took Johnson out of the campaign. You know, this was... These were very, very broad, emotional, uh, you know, sinews that occurred. And right. I, I think that they're very instructive for what's going on now emotionally. But just as now, in 1968, the country was divided. And Nixon's campaign was very savvy at running in the South appealing to segregationists 
the, the thing with Southern mm-hmm. strategy and appealing to normalcy. You know, 68 was a year of uh, unsettling revolution for many people. Um, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll and yippies was a, a little bit much for middle America to take. There was all of that turmoil and Nixon came in and said, the silent majority. And people went, oh, God, then we don't have to deal with it. You know, so there was, yeah, the, but there the, was the psychic there was. weight, the psychic weight in the country between the Vietnam War and all the social and upheavals and the riots in the streets following the assassination. There was a lot of uh, turmoil and Nixon promised to bring us back to normal. That was his appeal. Not to me, but that, that's what his appeal was. And it was successful. Right, because he was... He was, he was the anti-turmoil candidate. I, I, I totally agree with what I'm saying. I was not against uh, a milquetoast, uh, you know, vice president uh, of an administration which had opted out because they couldn't deal with any of this. So, I mean, it was the perfect storm for Nixon. Okay, so yeah. where are we now? Uh, you know, the, well, last, it, two weeks ago, the conventional wisdom was is that Trump was going to get reelected. And I think... Who, wait, I, I, don't, I don't remember when a, that was... A few weeks ago, it was like, you know, I, he's got... A, I, I didn't go to that convention. He's got a good Sorry. economy, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a good economy is the only thing he has. And, and that good economy is, um, is only a good economy if you are uh, invested in the right stocks and um, if you are in the right industry. It's not a good economy if you're a, a, a soybean farmer. I, I don't disagree with you. It's not a good economy if your factory just closed. I, I don't disagree with you. And it's certainly not a good, you know. I, I don't disagree it's, with it's, you. It's a... It, but I don't think that any of what you said rose to the emotional level that the economy is good and that, you know, all he has to do is keep the stock market up and he's going to get reelected. That's what the feeling was. I, but I, 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 I never bought that. Not everybody's invested in the stock market. The stock market doesn't reflect how people feel. You know, the question is, can you make your rent? Can you make your, can you make your uh, tuition right. payments? Can you, can you afford to fix the car? What happens if the refrigerator breaks? The, I mean, if, that's what the economy is. Hang on a second. Yeah, what if the refrigerator breaks? If what, what if uh, you know uh, layoffs start because uh, you know the appearance of the economy for uh, October of 2020 is that it's going to be up or down? What of those two scenarios is going to be more frightening to the greater number of people? Down is always more frightening. Right. But but the the economy is not monolithic. It doesn't all go up and it doesn't all go down. You know, this this uh, Republican notion that a rising tide lifts all boats 
it works very nicely in tides and in the, in the, in the boat basin, but it, it doesn't actually work in people's lives. Yeah, and things don't you, actually you know, trickle you're, down. Some, some, some tides go up and some tides go down. Right, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about what are the emotional themes that are going to drive the election. Right. Okay. And, and, and so right now we're, we're getting so, a test market of the down economic cycle and it's being rebutted fairly effectively by uh what's that guy's name who was on the uh shows this weekend the former cnb kudlow yeah La- La- lawrence kudlow yeah he did a pretty good job of saying uh don't worry about it. well you know i i, I discount that <laughs> Well, for... I mean, it, 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 it's, it's meaningless. It's, it's nonsense. We, you know, whether, what, what Kudlow says today is not what's going to be, you know, a year from now. Right. So, again, I'm, what I'm saying is that the dynamics of the, the situation that led to Hubert Humphrey being the candidate are more uh, instructive for what's going to be happening in the, in the next eight to 12 weeks. Okay. And you seem to be somewhat optimistic about, uh, you know, translating this Trump fatigue into actual votes. Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, then, Jesus, the whole country has a headache. Anybody who comes up with an aspirin is going to get the vote. Okay, who's that person going to be? You think it's going to be? Doesn't matter. Sleepy Doesn't Joe. Matter. So it's going to be. Um, a, I have, a tag you team? know, I, I I have a lot of doubt that Sleepy Joe is going to last. Um, I saw somebody say on Twitter, <laughs> "What what would it be like if the whole campaign?" is uh, centered around which candidate has uh, uh, further advanced into senility. You mean of, of the, the Democrats or? No, if, if, or if it's Biden versus Biden. Trump. Mm. If it's Biden versus Trump. and uh, So I think that the, the idea that Trump is showing signs of insanity more than he has for years, I think that's nonsense. And that's what we're being sold by the uh, networks right now. I don't buy it. If you watch these helicopter, and you know, what do they call them? Uh, Gaggles? Gaggles, right. The helicopter gaggles. The guy may... Uh, uh, brilliant, but he's in his own world. Everything he says makes sense, and you can understand what he's doing. Complicated. He's not a great poker player. He's not a great poker player, and, and he's also not a he's, he's also not a four dimensional chess player. He's a, he's a, he's an impulsive blurter. Right, but he's not. But when he. Blurts. I mean, he he get he has the 
sense of how you pr produce a two-hour show or a show. What are the hits and what are the commercial breaks and how, how does he play it so that it gets processed by the media? He's good at this. Yes, he is. There's nobody on the Democrat that even comes close. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, you're right. Um, you know, he's uh, he's uh, he's trained at it, and he's uh, he, you know he's in, in the stand-up in the stand-up world. You know, it, it it takes a year or two years, even if you have a good act, you have a good persona. It takes a year or two to learn how to play an audience. You just have to go up every night and keep doing it. And, and Trump has learned that. Trump learned that in his, in his first campaign. He knows how to play an audience. He reads the room. He's, he's just superb at it. And, so, uh, and, and you're right. Nobody, nobody on the Democratic side has uh, the stand-up chops that Trump has. So somebody on the Democratic side, or several somebodies, have to inject themselves into that conversation and take the pressure off of who's the candidate and put it on what are the, what's the subject matter of the campaign. Right. And they need to do it on a daily basis, and they need to pull him out of his bunker enough to get him yeah, but I, to I, promote I, I think I think all, all in due time. All due time. Um, okay, I buy that. So, how much time? How much time do you need? Well, you know, you've, you've um, by by the middle by the middle of the primary season. That's that's when you know. At, you know, at this point, with, it's going to uh, be over. At this point, with twenty candidates, that's not what's going to happen. When you get down to five candidates, that's what's going to happen. But we're effectively down to five candidates already. Yeah, well, that's... You just described that. Yeah. It, it just, you know, patience. That's all I could say. Patience. I'm, How much I'm, patience? I told you. I already told you. How much patience can you stand? Oh, I can, I can stand a great deal. So what, three months? Um, three or Six four. Months? Yeah. Beginning of, the beginning of 2020. And so, you know, there will be polls in December that will be, since they will be extremely important by then, that means that in November there will be significant polls. I missed, I missed that. I missed Can that. you hear me now? The, I heard there will be polls, but I didn't hear what, it, I didn't hear what the polls were about. There will be polls in December about the primary. Yes. about Iowa and New Hampshire. Right. Mostly Iowa. So if that's true, then that means that there will be polls in November that will be significantly pointing toward what the polls in December are going to look like. Uh -huh. So that means that November is, where are we now? August, September, yes. October. We're talking two and a half months. Right. Okay, so that's long enough for you, right? Yeah. Okay. Excellent. 
I mean, uh, you know, I understand everybody's impatient to have this settled. I want to have it settled. I'd, I'd be very happy if he went away tomorrow, but that's not the way things work.